Welcome to In The Money with Shannon Rusick from Flyer Financial Technologies, the company that builds cutting-edge technology designed to solve asset and wealth management firms' toughest trading workflows. In this podcast, we help advisors and asset managers understand how technology is transforming the wealth tech sector. We'll cover how to leverage technology for faster, smarter investment decisions, megatrends, and more. Shannon draws from years of experience in the industry, along with guest experts to explore the biggest challenges and opportunities in the wealth tech game. Now, on to the show. Welcome to In The Money. I'm your host, Shannon Rosick from Flyer Financial Technologies. I'm joined today by the one and only Craig Iskowitz, CEO and founder of Ezra Group, a strategy consulting firm providing technology and business advice to banks, broker-dealers, asset managers, private equity, and fintech firms. In this episode, it's all about APIs and how they've transformed the wealth management industry. So let's jump in. Craig, Thank you so much for joining me today. You can't seem to escape me lately between all the conferences we've been doing, you know, video interviews and now a podcast. I really do feel like I've reached a multimedia peak here. Jen, thanks for having me on your program. I'm honored to be here. And yes, we run to each other all the time and I, I can't get enough of you. More. I want more, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> well, your your wish is my command. <laughs> but, you know, first I'd like to start with the hardest question. Tell me and our listeners about your background and ultimately why you do what you do today. Thanks for asking, Shannon. So, uh, I've got a, a a varied background. I've uh, started out with a degree in computer science from Rutgers University. Uh, and just uh, for some people to know that I didn't do very well in school. I spent most of my time hacking. Uh, and back then, hacking was a good thing. Hacking just meant taking software or, or technology that you could buy or use and then finding new ways, new things it could do. So hacking has not taken on a, a bad negative connotation of hackers. But back then, hackers were the, the people who just found c- cool stuff to do with, with, with software or systems. And we would do that with uh, with our mainframes at school, try to you know, play practical jokes on each other across the mainframe and stuff. So it was all harmless fun, but I should have spent more time studying. But you know, I've, I've uh, overcome that, fortunately. That was a long time ago. So I did computer science, and then went from there to be a programmer, and then realized that programmers are being outsourced. This was back in the early 90s. So I saw programmers being outsourced. So I switched to become a network engineer, then became manager of network engineers. And then um, I worked at Broadridge for 10 years during all that uh, well, that was going on, and then left there to become a consultant um, and still in financial services. So doing broker-dealer systems and, um, and wealth management systems and, and banking systems. So basically anything financial services related, building technology, trading floor moves. And I got into wealth management around 2005, which is when I founded as a group. It's already 17, it's our 17th anniversary uh, of being in business, where I saw wealth management uh, as being an interesting niche, sort of combine a lot of the things that I liked, which was uh, Technology and um, and the stock market uh, and uh, and investing. So uh, those were so it all combined in wealth management. So we started doing wealth management projects back then, and really haven't looked back. That is something I didn't know about you the the hacking scene. So all these years I've known you, I had no idea. So that's really interesting. Well, don't tell anybody about that. <laughs> all right. Well, well, my professors back then weren't very happy. We we did a thing. Um, there was a thing called a mail bomb where if you was back then a hard drive space or disk space was, was very valuable and you got like 2k of disk space and we were all excited so when you had your email we, we had email back then this is in the early 80s 
when you had to hit a certain number of messages, it would lock you out until because there was the admin had to come in and delete messages. So we came up with a mail bomb program that would flood their email and lock them out of their email. You know, so those kind of you know stupid stuff we would do to, to play jokes on each other on, on the backs. I love it, hacker pranks. <laughs> That's it. Oh, that's fantastic. So is there anything you're working on now that listeners should know about? Obviously, getting into the space in 2005, mm-hmm. you've, you've seen the industry change. You've seen the come up yeah. when it comes to technology. What's mm-hmm. going on? Well, stuff that we're doing, we, we I mean, Ezra Group, uh, we have a couple of, of different client bases. One of our client bases is fintech firms. So we work with a lot of software companies in our space, from the very largest, all the names you know, to the smallest startups. And we help them with things like product strategy, uh, competitive analysis, go-to-market strategies, client segmentation, anything around selling their software, making the software better, finding out um, who can buy the software and why they should buy it. The other part of our clients are their clients, broker-dealers, very large RIAs, asset managers, and what their technology is. So they come to us, again, the largest, one of the largest broker-dealers to the smallest uh, um, uh, RIAs. Have come to us for help about what should they be using, what should their tech stack be, how can they optimize the current tech stack, uh, what uh, what are their competitors doing, how can they improve their advisor experience, their client experience, and we do a lot of operational work too. So they might say, hey, we, you know, our our portfolio management practices aren't working really well, our our billing or recon practices aren't working really well. How can we improve that? So those are the things that we're doing. You know, the things that we're seeing is. Uh, a lot more firms are, are going to are realizing that so the tech that they're working on now maybe isn't working so well for them. And part of it is um, the, the growth. Um, we're seeing a lot of growth in a lot of these firms that they're being pushed to grow either through PE funding where they've got private equity coming in saying, hey, we just gave you all this money. You need to go grow. So they're buying up lots of companies and in buying those firms, they're realizing their tech doesn't scale and they're running into these problems. So um, we get calls for that. We also work our third group of uh, firms that we work with our PE firms come to us say, hey, we're looking to buy this $10 billion RIA. Come look at their technology. Is their technology going to scale from 10 to 20 to 30 billion? If not, where are the gaps and what can they do to fix it? So we're seeing a lot more of those types of questions, people coming in uh, on their own saying, hey, we don't think our techs can scale. Can you come help us? I feel like that's been a big theme, especially lately, is advisors in particular trying to strike that balance between service and scale. So I'm sure you're getting a ton of questions around that and how to make yeah. that cost effective and efficient you know, on all ends of the spectrum. And scale is, we, we look at scale two ways. One is you think of scale as well, I've got to be able to handle more clients. Yeah, sure. If I can find more, the more clients a single advisor can handle, that's one way of looking at scale. So if I'm a broker-dealer or an RIA, I don't have to hire more advisors as a necessarily ad more clients. But we also look at scale in that saving time for the advisor makes the advisor more scalable. So if there's operational improvements, there's technology that can be more efficient, reduce manual interventions, then that will make the advisor more scalable by giving them more time. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to get more clients, but they have more time for prospecting, but also servicing existing clients and so making them happier is another benefit of scalability. Absolutely. So I did promise listeners that we'd be taking a deep dive into all things API. So let's put that background you have in programming to use. You know, in simple terms, let's break it down. What exactly is an API? It's a good question. So an API, API is an acronym. In computers, uh, technology, we love acronyms. We have acronyms <laughs> for everything. And, um, but an API stands for Application Programming Interface. And in a nutshell, it's just a way for two programs to talk to each other. 
And a, a quick history, you know, back when, when I was um, you know, back in college, you know, there were no way, it was very difficult for computers to talk to each other. It was, almost, it was almost unheard of. In fact, no one even knew why you'd want to have computers talk to each other. Let's let them do their thing. And we don't really need to, no one ever thought of it. But now it's, it's ubiquitous. Why shouldn't computers talk to each other? And once people realized, I think in the 70s, it started to come, become more, effect, more apparent that computers needed to talk and send large amounts of data to each other. So they came up with various um, um, standards and protocols, but they were very cumbersome and clunky, or they were very narrowly focused um, on just documents or just different kinds of data or required lots of um, processing to get the, the data in a, in, a, in a format that you could send it to another computer or it was slow. Uh, and for many years, um, file transfers were the main way you sent data. Uh, if you look at a lot of the custodians now, they deliver, they still do this, it's called batch processing, but they, they take all the data at the end of the closing business and all night they're, they're processing data in a big batch, all the trades, net, net everything out. And then to every, every brokerage firm on the street, every uh, uh, broker dealer, every RIA gets a file. They don't, maybe they don't see it, but it comes into their, their portfolio management system, a flat file, like a, a, it's not a Word document, it's a big text file full of all of their accounts, all the changes, all the trades that have been done. Those file, those file transfers are still going on. And that's, that's technology we've been using for, you know, for 60 years. So what an API allows is two programs to send discrete pieces of data to each other without requiring you know, file uploads and overnight, overnight processing and without requiring a lot of pre-processing. So I don't have to say, well, you need to tell me exactly what you want. And then we'll go through this entire process and then get you the data. It's more the API opens up the architecture of the application. Say, here are the things I can do for you programmatically. You can ask for anything you want and you can plug it into anything you want. And I don't care because the APIs are designed in a way that's secure, reliable, consistent, uh, and that they don't impact any of the parts of the system. So you can make the calls you want to get the data or send me the data that I will accept without having to predetermine what that's going to be. So now APIs, the history of APIs, rest on the, 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 the long history of all these other systems that went before it. Like back, if you remember back in the day, we had local area networks. You know, even earlier, computers were all standalone. When I bought an IBM PC when it first came out, it was just a PC. There's nothing to connect it to. Then we had local area networks where you could, oh, this is great, I could connect my computers together and send data between them, either a shared hard drive or send files between them. That was really cool. That was a client-server architecture where I could get a print server or an email server on my, in my company network. That was great. And those firms, those the servers could communicate, but only with the same software. Whereas an API uh, became um, popularized through the cloud. And the first firm, not a lot of people know this, but the first company that launched an API was Salesforce, which was oh, really the first cloud-based company. This is in 2000. So Salesforce came out with the first set of APIs. Um, and the, after that, there was a, a number of other tech companies, internet companies that followed suit. eBay was second, and then Amazon, and then, then a big, big uh, 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 milestone in APIs was Flickr. You remember Flickr was a photo sharing site, and Flickr came out with APIs, and what that enabled people to do was to embed photos on their website. So if I'm a blogger, I could put a photo. For, now, it's easy to upload a file. Everyone can upload a picture, but to embed a picture from another website was crazy. How can you do that? So Flickr really kind of launched that, that whole API craze more for, more for regular people rather than business to business like Salesforce was doing. 
And then in 2006, Google Maps came out with their API. And that was in response to people hacking. Now, not, not necessarily bad hackers, but good hackers saying, well, I can hack into the Google's, uh, the JavaScript in Google Maps and make cool stuff. Well, Google's like, look, we don't like you hacking. Let's just give them an API because they're just using it. And they, they had the, the brilliance to say, look, let's give them access to our technology so they can build on top of it, which was, again, unheard of. He's like, I'm not going to give you my technology. It's my technology. I'm keeping it. Everything was very closed for many years, and firms didn't want to open up their tech to other companies. But once these other firms found that opening up their tech gave them more power and made and gave them more sales and made more people use their technology, um, that sort of opened the doors to things like on Google Maps, for example, there are people who are uh, using their APIs to build things like tweet trips. So there's an app um, that's just built into Google Maps where if you tweet to a certain address, it'll make a Google map of all your tweets where your geolocation is. So it makes like a map of where you've been with tweets. That's through the Google API, uh, Google Maps API. People did crime maps of their neighborhoods or their cities by using the Google API, Google Maps API, to make their own custom map. So the Google map is underneath, but they're, they've overlaid information on top of it. And they also do whimsical things like the zombie outbreak simulation game, which you should try, which is in Google Maps. And if there's a zombie outbreak in your neighborhood, you can see it in Google Maps, kill the zombie. So those are some of the things that APIs enabled that were unthinkable you know, before that. Well, I, I can't say I saw us talking about the zombie apocalypse during this podcast, but I'm certainly glad you brought it up because it, it really is incredible, um, just the explosion of APIs, how it's, it's touched every industry. And that's what's yeah. truly incredible. And I know we touched on this briefly in our recent video interview, which will be coming out soon from Purging Insight. Um, but that's the beauty of a podcast, right? Less time constraints, so we can really dive into this. But you know, I wanted to revisit this concept um, you spoke about with Flyer CEO Brian Ross a few years ago around the API economy. You know, two years ago we were saying now is the time for the API economy. But where do things really stand now? Yeah, two years ago we were a bit uh, prescient about that, and I think we were right. It's it's uh, well, it wasn't, but it wasn't a hard thing to predict that. APIs aren't, no one's forcing people to use APIs. They want to because of the capabilities. Now, now with Google Maps, they're, they're, it's easy to see. But even in our industry, it's if you look at what APIs enable you to do, for example, they enable your CRM to pull in account values. So when I'm, when I'm an advisor looking at the client's profile, I can see their holdings, or at least a couple of pieces of data about their holdings right on the same page. So those types of tools, once advisors see that, they're going to demand it more and they want more things. And we're looking for more ways to do it. And once more firms realized, as we said earlier, that opening up your technology to other firms doesn't uh, is not a weakness, it's a strength. It makes your technology stronger and more firms are starting to do it. Uh, and in Ezra Group, we, um, uh, inter we work with a lot of uh, vendors and we help them understand how they can better present their data and what data they should make available through APIs and how to do that. We also evaluate vendors' uh, APIs and how, uh, how they're working. So we are, are working on some methodologies and some scoring to show uh, broker-dealers and RIAs, hey, here's some vendors you're looking at. Here's how well their APIs work or don't work. And here's how their integrations work or don't work to help make decisions. And when it comes to tech stacks in particular, we're still seeing advisors and wealth managers struggle really with that choice paralysis or even where to start sometimes because 
you know, advisors aren't expected to be the technology experts. So they, they also need to consider really having somebody in house. But I feel like that's really where wealth tech can shine, specifically the use of APIs, because they give you the ability to move quickly, right? So maybe somebody that isn't as well versed in this universe can turn to their, you know, CTO or whoever it might be and say, Hey, you know, what plugins can we use? You know, we need billing, we need reporting, we need, we need this, right? Like that's the whole point is to be able to move nimbly and quickly. Those are really two different questions. And so uh, there are a lot of firms that have analysis paralysis and don't know what to do or where to go when they come to us. So, and we help them, whether they're very large or very small, they all have the same types of problems. They don't know what to do. And uh, a number of surveys have shown that when a firm selects a particular piece of technology, usually software, it stays for 10 or even 20 years. Because I think the average was 12 to 14 years from across all firms. So making this decision is not something you should make lightly to pick any piece of software. You're going to be stuck with it for a decade or more. Uh, so I think that scares some people. They don't know what to do. Uh, so our expertise is knowing, not knowing what the right software to pick for them, but helping them understand how to make that decision. So a lot of our work is not just saying, well, you need this software. A lot of our work is helping them understand what their business is doing, where they're going, what their requirements are, and then showing them how to, we have a methodology for a vendor evaluation and selection, showing them how to evaluate software against their criteria and make the best decision. We'll give them advice and, and help guide them. But we're technology agnostic, so we don't take any referral fees or sales commissions from any vendors. It makes a difference to us which vendor a firm chooses. We want them to make the best decision for them at the time, which, you know, again, a year from now, it may change. And there's nothing necessarily you can do about it, but you want to make the best decision uh, with the available data. And so the other part of your question was APIs is make it easier. Things are getting are getting easier. Once they, back in 2000, there was there really wasn't much cloud data, cloud computing available until um, Amazon AWS came out in 2006 or eight. Uh, now everything's on the cloud. Things being in the cloud make APIs much easier and make it much quicker to be back with them. We had client server, everything's in your local hard drive, the local LAN. You had to buy a server, you had to get it installed, people had to come out to your office and put the software in. Now I can do it all online with a couple of clicks. I can spin up a new server on Amazon and, and do whatever I want. So it's easier to deliver software as a service, a SaaS model which was new when Salesforce launched in 2000. Now it's become ubiquitous. Everyone's used to things being in the cloud. No one expects software to be installed on your computer any longer. So it is easy to say, I just want to get this. I just want to plug this in, see that. However, we try to let people, we try to temper down those expectations because you still need to plan. We've seen some firms where the advisor's desktop looks like an iPhone screen, like a hyperactive child, like there's a billion icons on it. Like every icon is on the screen. The advisors are thinking, I don't know where to go. How do I prepare for a client meeting? Which one do I click first? So you really need to think, one of the things we help firms with is what is your advisor experience? And how do we make that? Look at the process of how of the, the things advisors have to do, prospect, onboarding, um, portfolio construction, say, or financial planning, um, client meetings. Those things, those different processes have to be smooth, easy, but get them all the data they need and keep the clients happy. So thinking about that before letting someone say, well, this is easy, let's plug it in. You really want to have a plan. No, that, that absolutely makes sense. So is it fair to say then you're, you're pretty bullish on the growth of APIs, particularly in wealth management? Obviously, the last 20 years, we've really seen it ramp up, but it seems like it's probably table stakes at this point to be able to offer the kind of that open architecture and APIs. It's getting better. Uh, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I think probably 40 to 50% 
uh, vendors out there have some form of APIs. Although we're trying to push for more transparency in the industry. A lot of APIs are behind firewalls or, or closed, and we want them to be more open so clients can make better decisions and all, and the consultants can make better decisions. So when we go to a website, clients, what the vendor's website, I want to see the list of APIs or the list of firms you integrate with and what data you can send back and forth between them. Is it just a single sign-on, meaning when I log into one application, I am automatically signed on to another, which is the most basic level of integration, or is a, a one-directional push, meaning I can send data. So if I'm a financial planning app uh, and I've got a probability of retirement, I can send that to the CRM. Or is it bi-directional where the financial plan app can also take data from the CRM? Uh, or is there the next level is I can send actions to the other system. So can if when I go to the CRM and I create a new account, does that kick off the creation of a new account in the financial planning app or vice versa? That's the next level of integrations. And then you get into APIs. So is there an API where as an RIA or broker dealer or their advisor firm, I can hire my own programmers and build something on top of what you've got. And, and, and uh, so that's, that's the next level. So there, of course, APIs are definitely growing. Um, we're trying to push for that. We're seeing more and more vendors uh, offer it and offer open, uh, well-documented and well-designed APIs. Yes. And I know you're, you're familiar with Flyer, but, you know, at our firm, we've helped firms like, you know, SmartX, RiskLize build order management tools through the use of our APIs and our you know, still strong believers in offering multiple integration points and having flexible technology. So let's play a little game of pros and cons. I don't sound totally biased for all pros APIs, but make the case for the use of APIs and also why it still might not be a fit for everyone. Well, I think we've already made the case for APIs, uh, but the, the, the question isn't are APIs a fit for everyone? But the question is, is a particular piece of technology a good fit for your firm? So Flyer, I can say, is a fantastic order management system, one of the best in the industry. But it's not necessarily best for every vendor or every every company. They may not need they another one. They may not need all the functionality Flyer has, or they may have other limiting circumstances that maybe make Flyer not a good fit. Um, and that's the same with every technology, whether it's uh, Investnet, Orion, uh, or Riskalyze, or SmartX, or any of the other vendors. They are all great technology. I know personally all the CEOs of those companies. Some of them are, are have been our clients in the past. But not every vendor is the best fit for every uh, every firm. So a better question is: is what's the right software for you? And um, it, there's a number of different um, criteria we work on, and every firm is a little bit different. So they have different needs. They have different growth. They have different um, services that they offer or different combinations of, of services that they offer. And so uh, different technologies may or may not suit them. Uh, some firms like to integrate. So having a best of breed solution is good for them because they've got the technology capabilities in-house to handle the uh, problems that always come up when you do best of breed. A joke we make um, in consulting circles is if every application integrated as well as the vendors say they do, we'd be out of a job. I love that. <laughs> uh, so just out of curiosity too, and, and what you're seeing on the cons- consultancy side of things, what are some of the biggest use cases you're seeing for APIs? You know, what are people really clamoring for right now? Is it you know, payment processing? Is it billing? Is it reporting? Is it all of it? What are you seeing specifically that people are just really in dire need of? Well, we've, we've talked about a couple of different use cases, but where I see things going is more wealth management as a service. That's the next step. And we've, we've got banking as a service. We have payments as a service. You can plug in a payment processor 
We've all seen data aggregation as a service where you can plug in a data aggregation tool. Everyone has gone on to some website, financial website, and gone to Plaid or something to connect their bank accounts. So uh, we're going to be seeing more wealth management as a service where wealth management services can be plugged into other things. For example, Uber could offer wealth management services as a plug into their app. So their drivers could say, well, I'm making money. What's going on with it? And Uber could say, hey, you, know, you can sign up for this wealth management service from this broker, and then we'll take 10% of your money and plug it in, say, put it into a savings account. Or, what, or put into an investment account, rather, a basket ETFs or something, or we'll set up a retirement account for you right inside the app. So wealth management isn't a separate process. It's all part of one thing. Uh, just like we've, we've gotten used to, how does Uber work, right? Uber's got a lot of different technologies plugged into one app, GPS and credit card processing, right? Uh, low geolocation, uh, messaging, ratings, all those things inside one app and food ordering, all solid side one app. So um, look for, I'm looking, I'm expecting APIs, uh, the use case of APIs to just grow uh, where wealth management can be delivered as a service into other applications. It makes me think of, I recently talked with Danny Fava at InvestNet and she's been talking um, extensively about embedded finance. So it sounds mm-hmm. like obviously that um, will continue to grow because you see all this, it's all happening behind the scenes, you know, as an everyday user, I just go into my Uber mm-hmm. app and everything's there. It's actually pretty incredible what, what you can plug in and do within a single interface. Sure. I mean, embedded finance is, is one step and embedded wealth management is the next. But I'm thinking more of a holistic view. Right now, everything's separate. If you even look at how uh, an advisor's life is, CRM has a CRM data. Financial planning has your financial planning data. Portfolio management has your portfolio management data. Why? Because we've always done it that way. That's why. But it's stupid. There's no reason that, those, that data should be in those different silos. And every new application you get whether it's a tax planning application, whether it's a marketing application, uh, you know, it has a separate database of, of, of the same data that's existing in other applications. And so having embedded finance uh, or embedded wealth management will enable uh, the firms to um, consolidate their data into one location and deliver more seamless services to where the client doesn't know they're getting financial planning. They don't know, that, you know, really, you shouldn't know all these things even exist. Clients don't care. Right. Our clients don't care what, the, what financial planning app you're using or what portfolio management application you're using. They just want to know, can I retire? Or can I buy a house? Or can I send my kid to college? That's what they want to know. So it's, um, yes, things, more things will be embedded, um, but that's not the end all. But what, what we really want to know is, is it making advisors' lives easier? Is it saving them time? Is it making them is it providing them the ability to provide more holistic services because robots are catching up, technology is mm-hmm. catching up, right? So um, I, was one, I was one of the first to, to say that robo-advisors are not going to displace traditional advisors, uh, but what they will do is push them up the value chain because once you can do certain things simply and cheaply, well, then I can't do that anymore and charge you the same amount. So well, I used to have an advisor that I was paying 100 basis points to not uh, realize he was only building me a basket of ETFs and I can get that at Betterment or Wealth Fund for 25. So I, you know, but he didn't understand. What do you mean? My basket's better than their basket. Well, no, it's not. It's pretty much the same. So more, so the advisors are retiring or they realize I got to do more stuff. So that's a good thing. It's, 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 a, it's going to never ending battle. It happens in every industry. Every industry's had to adapt to uh, software or hardware doing their job. 
So it's just like, well, I had to change from being a programmer to a network engineer, right? Because there was, well, they were finding ways to do my job more efficiently. So I had to keep, I said, well, they can't, I, someone's got to plug the cables under the, under the desk. I, they can't outsource that. Right? And then it keep me keep moving to the next and the next thing. Uh, and then cloud-based computing got rid of that, right? We didn't have to install servers. You know, when I was the first network engineer, we had to plug, we had, we were using floppy disks to build the operating system. We had a, we were swapping in like a stack of disks. You can't see this high. <laughs> into the computer to build the operating system custom for that particular piece of hardware uh, or whatever uh, network card you had or whatever video card you had, you had to build the operating system for that, um, for that particular configuration. No one does that anymore because now it's, now it's all in the cloud. I don't need to worry about how many servers I have. I don't have to go buy another, another piece of hardware. So, that's good. so the network people who were network engineers had to change. Well, they can't do that anymore. So uh, it's it's really a constant battle in, in financial services and wealth management is no different. So uh, long story short, the technology will keep pushing advisors up the value chain to offer more services. And I would, and my contention is they should offer everything around a financial life. I should be able to go to one place for everything related to finances. That way, instead of going to different people for different things, why? They, they, they don't talk to each other, and it's not holistic. So that's, I think everything needs to be more holistic, and advisors should be doing more about managing uh, clients' financial lives. Absolutely. And we're, we're obviously headed in that direction. But you know, when we talk about robo and data and all of the data that we share on a daily basis within our apps, you know, we don't necessarily think twice about it, but we can't talk about APIs without mentioning cybersecurity. You know, at the end of the day, are they safe? And what steps can firms take to ensure that platform security? Because as you know, financial advisors are gathering highly sensitive uh, data on all their clients. Another excellent question. Something we do when we, so we're, we're doing a whole evaluation of vendors in the advisor tech space and their integration capabilities and their APIs are an important part of that. And their security is an important part of that. So there's a difference between cybersecurity, which is securing a network or a location or a, of, a, of a particular advisory firm and a vendor's APIs security. Because an API by definition opens up your technology to other people to come to access it you are technically a hacker could come in and access it so if it isn't designed properly if it doesn't have authentication and security that's working properly anybody can get in and start doing uh, things you don't want them to be doing if you've ever heard of any hacks at like a big hack at target or the big hack at, uh, in, in uh, the government in the treasury department or in the, the, armed, the armed forces had a big hack a lot of those hacks came through third parties where they went to the third-party vendor, hacked them, and they were connected to the network, and that's how they got it. So you don't want to open up an API, which is opening up access to your programs and allow a hacker to get in. So one of the things we check for is your authentication. And there's certain software and certain protocols that are industry standards that we require. And you'll be surprised how many vendors don't have very good authentication technology. They have just the very basic, which is a username and password, which is terrible. Right? You really need to have... We, we have a scoring, so you've got to have, have the highest level, meaning the, with the, the most robust authentication and validation so that only the people you approve can come into your APIs and get access to it. So uh, on that front, security is a very important uh, aspect of how we evaluate a vendor's APIs. 
And what's some advice you have when it comes to firms evaluating a vendor's API? Should they be, you know, looking at their value proposition and laddering their technology up to that? Or, you know, what's really that first step or piece of advice that you give when they are evaluating APIs? Well, first one is you want to call me. <laughs> you, know, you want to call us a group, my company right here. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> All these guys. Or, so um, unless you've got the, the technology in-house, uh, technology capabilities or people uh, you know, in-house who understand this kind of stuff, you want to call an expert, whether it's Ezra Group or someone else to help you evaluate. And this is all we do is evaluate vendors and evaluate technology. Uh, it's, and it's, a, and it's, a, it's a, a robust, um, deep knowledge base on our part. It's not something you can kind of spin up over the weekend. Um, just like anything, you don't really can't say, well, I'm going to be a financial advisor today. I'm going to read Barron's over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal, and I'll be an advisor on Monday. And, right? No, you can't do that. Well, you, still, you wouldn't give someone financial advice if you weren't an advisor after a weekend of study. Why would you pick a vendor to man, run your business after a weekend of evaluating or a couple weeks of evaluating technology? Right? You want to bring an expert in who does this all the time, uh, whether it's us or somebody else. But when, it looks at, when you look at evaluating a vendor's technology, there's a number of things we look at. Um, and, one, and, and only one of them is features. So features are sometimes the least important because most vendors, the top vendors in every category, if you look at the, the uh, Ezra, uh, sorry, if you look at the Keats Ezra Advisor Tech Map, which is on Michael Keats' website, keats.com, uh, yes, uh, I help Michael with that map every month. There's 315 applications on that map and growing. Mm-hmm. Knowing uh, how to categorize them, the, the top vendors in each category are pretty much the same for the table stakes features. Very, very close. Hard to differentiate. There's lots of other things you should be looking at. One is the, the, the vendor themselves, uh, uh, how long they've been in business. What's their market share? Are there other firms like yours using this software? Uh, what's, of course, price is an issue, not always the most important issue. Is it scalable? Uh, is it responsive? How, uh, then security. So all these, these are what we call non-functional requirements. All of these things have to be evaluated and prioritized, which ones are most important to you. Maybe you're a firm that says, hey, we're willing to take a chance on a small vendor. We want to see what we want cutting edge. Or maybe you're saying, hey, we're, we are very stable. We can't deal with small vendors. We have to only, we're only deal with the big guys. So then that will be a priority for you. So every vendor, every firm is a little different in how we criteria, work with the criteria and scoring for a vendor evaluation. But understanding what's important to you is important. Is important. You got to get the people together, all the stakeholders in your company, and in the same room and say, well, we're making this decision what are your requirements? What are your requirements? What do you want? And then write them all down and say, well, do we agree on all these things? And I, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in with the, the largest broker dealers, the largest RAs in the country. And we get the people in, this, in the room and say, well, what are we building here? Like Everyone's got a different answer. It's like the elephant, right? It's this, it's that. Well, no. So you, they've never had that conversation before. So just getting people in the same room and, and discussing what you want and where you think the company is going and what's important to you uh, is a good first step before choosing any vendor or, or whether they have APIs or not. And as I continue to pick your brain just beyond APIs, what trends are you going to be following closely for the rest of this year and, and really into next year? Or is there anything in our industry that has surprised you lately? Nothing surprises me, Shannon. <laughs> You've seen it all. <laughs> this is my shock phase. <laughs> so uh, th- what we're looking at now is data. We think data is a, is a big driver in our industry. And of course, everyone has data, but it's data as an asset. And we're seeing more firms announcing data initiatives. 
so InvestNet announced a big data initiative where they're opening up a lot of their data to other firms uh, and their clients with a with a, a what they call a data hub. And that's a big change for them where just 10 years ago, they were a very closed system. And now they're totally open, complete APIs for almost everything. And, and they're offering their data uh, uh, to other firms as well. So they're saying, if, if you're another FinTech, you want to build on top of our systems, go ahead. Right? We, we're, we're sort of like the Google of wealth management. Take our different tools and build on top of them. As, you know, we'll get a piece of it some way, but we realize we can't be all things to all people. Uh, Orion is doing the same thing. They announced the partnership with Amazon and their Redshift technology, which is a which is a cloud-based uh, data warehouse uh, technology, where they're going to do the same thing, opening up their data to clients uh, in a, in ways that are easy to access, so clients can build their own tools and things on top. Now, and what we're seeing as a, as a programmer who started uh, programming a long time ago, I won't say how long, but it's a long time ago, looking at the, how much easier things are now. Um, you can see why more and more firms are, are thinking they can do it because it's so much easier. So many more frameworks, out-of-the-box tools that um, jumpstart you in, into building uh, really great technology on top of APIs, which is another key part, on top of the cloud, which is a key part uh, with all the security that's built in and all the robust um, user interface tools that make it look cool and snappy and lots of bells and whistles. So we're seeing data as an asset being pushed by more of the bigger vendors where they're opening up their internal data sources, data models, data stores to their clients, even their competitors uh, to build. So we're going to be seeing a lot more. I think a couple more vendors will come out with, with those announcements by the end of the year. Makes sense. So as we wind down here, you know, I have to end with some fun questions. <laughs> I mean, we could, go for, we, we could go forever. We're already. Aren't you like Tim Ferriss? We should do like a three hour podcast. <laughs> I'll be the I'll be the Joe Rogan of, of fintech yeah, Rogan, podcasting. Yeah, start. Someone's got to be. Do two and a half hours. Come on. <laughs> hey, yeah, there we go. But I do want to wrap up with some fun questions. Um, and I appreciate all of your insights around APIs and data. So thank you for that. But um, you know, what's one thing maybe people don't know about you or something that might shock them? You're extremely well known in this industry. You know, your name's everywhere. You are everywhere at every conference. So, you know, when it comes to professional life, we know you well. But what's you know something that might surprise people about you? Um, um, surprise! I don't know if the people will be surprised. Uh, I'm a black belt in Okinawan Goju Karate. And you've been doing this your whole life. Well, no, uh, 20 years. 20 years. So that's another thing. So I started uh, martial arts when I was 36, which you might wow. think, well, that's too old. And I remember saying, I always wanted, I wish I'd done, you know, karate when I was in high school or earlier. My parents did that. You know, I was in the marching band, right? Uh, played saxophone, so I never did any martial arts. But when I was 36, I thought, you know, I can't remember what I was reading, but someone said, you know, it's the whole acorn planting a tree, um, you know, thing. But you know, the best time to plant a tree in order to, to get shade is 20 years ago, but the second best time is right now. So I thought, well, if I start training karate now and I'm 36, by the time I'm 46, I'll have 10 years of into it. You know, I'll, be, I'll be 10 years ahead for if I wait 10 more years. So I just started um, and I've been doing it uh, ever since. So uh, that's, um, that's a martial arts is something I'm passionate about. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, age is just a number at the end of the day. You can always start something new at any time, I feel like. <laughs> exactly. Well, Craig, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and getting to know you a little bit better. But um, tell our listeners where they can find resources and learn more about the Ezra Group and contact you. You can find out everything about Ezra Group 
here at EzraGroupLLC.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Craig Escorts. So folks, you heard it here. Definitely reach out to Craig for all of your technology needs and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms and follow Flyer Financial Technologies on LinkedIn and Twitter at FlyerFT or visit our website at www.flyerft.com to learn more. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to In The Money, the show that delivers advisors, asset managers, broker dealers, and other technology service providers the knowledge they need to navigate this industry. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Flyer Financial Technologies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 